Eagles Entertainment. Welcome, Eagles, everywhere to the Eagles Insider Podcast presented by Lincoln Financial Group. I'm Eagles Insider Dave Spadaro. I'm at the NovaCare Complex. It's Monday. It's March Madness in a lot of ways. And while we're at the 21st day of this month, it feels like, well, it has just started in the NFL. We are in the very early stages of the roster building process. And the Eagles coming out of the gates with a bang in free agency, hauling in their number one target, pass rushing linebacker Hassan Reddick. A great story. We're going to get into that in just a bit. Grew up in Camden, New Jersey. Played his high school football at Haddon Heights High School. His college football at Temple University. The 13th overall pick in the 2017 NFL Draft. He went out to Arizona. Played out there. Then played last year with the the Carolina Panthers. And we remember it well because he terrorized the Eagles that day. An Eagles victory in Carolina that was hard fought in large part because Reddick was such a dominant presence chasing down Jalen Hurts. Now in free agency, Reddick comes home, a three-year deal to play with the Eagles. And the Philadelphia Eagles, with that move, going out and addressing their biggest need, rushing the quarterback, ranking last year near the bottom in the NFL in quarterback sacks. The Eagles still defensively cobbled things together after the loss of Brandon Graham, who went down in the second game of the season against the 49ers. Eagles did a nice job defensively. At times, it was, it took some time, right? It took every, a bit of time for everything to come together. There's some growing pains. But at the end of the day, in 17 regular season games, the Eagles, in 10 of those games, held opponents to 18 or fewer points. And that tied for best in the league. And that is impressive. And now, with a pass rush presence like Hassan Reddick, certainly Jonathan Gannon's defense will be better attacking the quarterback. Graham making his way back from the Achilles tendon injury. Philadelphia bringing in more help with Reddick. And certainly more to come up front for the Eagles defense. So we will, in just a moment here, really get to know Hassan Reddick. But also want to catch up on some other news with the Eagles. Uh, because it has been fast and furious, taking care of their own here with the team. Curious case, and we'll explain it later in the show, of Fletcher Cox. But the bottom line, Fletcher Cox back with the Eagles for the 2022 season, agreed to terms on a one-year deal. The number one draft pick for the Eagles in 2012 is back for the Philadelphia Eagles. And also back, safety Anthony Harris, who last year Entered free agency after his seasons with the Minnesota Vikings. Eagles signed him to a one-year deal. He played well in 2021, and he's back in 2022, as is Boston Scott, a deep and talented offensive backfield. The Eagles with Miles Sanders, with Kenny Gainwell, with Boston Scott. They led the league in rushing last year. Scott brings versatility. They trust him. He never, ever is in the wrong place. He rarely, rarely makes mistakes. And last year, seven touchdowns. Impressive for Boston Scott. Let's start the podcast, though, with something that happened before free agency began, and that was the announcement that Jason Kelsey was returning for 2022. An all-time player here, an all-time man here, an all-time member of the community here. Kelsey announced it in his own way, which, you know, there may not be anybody more unique than Jason Kelsey. Here's what he had to say as he announced that, yeah, he's coming back for 2022. Well, 
Got a lot of questions on the air yesterday uh, about my future. So I decided I'd, uh, I'd clear it up right now. Unfortunately, I've decided to announce that I am retiring from hosting WIP. But I'm definitely not retiring from playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm having way too much fun doing that. Looking forward to another year, Philadelphia. And all my teammates, let's go dominate. So we are thrilled that Kelsey comes back. The offensive line should be outstanding once again. And that is a strength of this football team that just keeps on going. All right, later in the show, like way later, uh, we're going to hear from three, three old-time Eagles who have really good free agency stories about how they became Eagles. Ricky Waters, Irving Fryer, John Runyon. But for now, let's focus on this free agency period. And the Eagles going out and getting Hassan Reddick. I had a chance to speak to him when he came into the Novacare Complex last week. He met the media, did a tour, all smiles, very happy to be back home. Hassan Reddick, one-on-one. It's one of those days here at the Novacare Complex where everybody is smiling. Hi, Eagles everywhere. I'm Eagles insider Dave Spadaro. And the man to my right is the newest Philadelphia Eagle leading with all the smiles, linebacker Hassan Reddick. First day officially as an Eagle. Let me see that smile. There we go. Uh, how, how's the day been? How's it feel to be a Philadelphia Eagle? It's been great, man. Wonderful. Yeah. You know, um, getting in the building, you know, first time in the building, getting to be here, getting to meet everybody. Everybody's been wonderful, kind, um, excited, man, excited, really excited for this opportunity. Camden, New Jersey native, uh, didn't play much high school football, and I want to get into that. Like, the way I look at you, Hassan, and from what I've known about you, you're kind of a, hey, if you have a dream, mm-hmm. make sure you do everything you can to have that dream come true kind of guy, right? right? Is that how you kind right. of see your journey in the NFL? Yes, indeed. Um, you know, as you were saying, I didn't play many games in high school. Um, walked on at Temple University, uh, had to earn my rights to, you know, get on the field there. Um, and, you know, 2017 draft, man, here, here in Philadelphia, you know, was able to be a first-round pick. So, uh, like you said, man, I worked hard and I chased my dream. Why do you think it worked for you when it doesn't work for other guys? Uh, you know, I, I just believed in myself. I always bet on myself. Uh, and I, and I, I, I put the work in, man. I, I prayed on it. Um, and, and everything just came It came to life for me. All right, in high school, Haddon Heights High School, mm-hmm. running back <laughs> and safety. Right. All right? Now, you're growing up, you're dreaming of being a Philadelphia Eagle, right? You're a fan girl. Did you feel like you were going to make that, you were out of position, or like, did you feel that there was some sort of spot that you were eventually going to be in as the runner or as the hitter? Uh, You know, I had dreams of being a running back at the time, um, but, you know, it wasn't for me. You know, I mean, or that wasn't in the plans. Uh, When I walked on the temple, uh, I walked on as a safety, and then, um, you know, eventually worked all, all the way at every level, and became a defensive end, and that's where I showed the most promise and where I had the most success at, uh, in college. When did it click for you at Temple, and why did it click for you at Temple? I would say maybe my, like my uh, redshirt sophomore year. Um, guy named Elijah Robinson, who's also from Camden, uh, he came in as the D-line coach, and uh, man, we spent countless hours working on pass rush, countless hours on how to be a DN and you know, how to use your hands, how to flip your hips. And, um, you know, 
thanks to him, you know, I was able to be a great pass rusher. And in before your senior year, redshirt senior year, you got the number change. Mm-hmm. Single-digit number at Temple is a very high honor. Goes to the toughest player on the team. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you feel like that was kind of when it all really you blossomed and the best of Hassan Reddick started to show? Uh, yeah, man. You know, I just you know every year I, I got better. I was always a hard worker. That that was never a question, never a thing. I was always a hard worker. Um, but as I continue to play defensive end, I continue to get better each year. Um, and, you know, at the college level, you know, uh, I hit my prime and, and, and went crazy my senior year. It's really interesting because your professional career after being a first-round draft pick kind of kind of mirrored your college career. So did that kind of help you stay patient and, hey, I'm going to finally find my niche? Exactly right. Um, you know, I looked at it at, as this was something that I've been through before. This is nothing new to me. If I, over, if I overcame it once, why can't I do it twice? Um, you know, of course, it was some ups and downs, uh, but, uh, you know, I did my best not to ever doubt myself. I continued to work hard, continued to come in every day, put the work in, um, and, and eventually things worked out for me. And son, what are the keys to being, in your case, a great pass rusher at this level? Uh, you know, got to have, you know, good hands, um, good hips, good feet. Uh, you know, you got to be an athlete at the end of the day. Um, and I think that, you know, I, th- I think that's what it comes down to the most. And uh, also patience, man. A lot of guys think, you know, that it's all about getting sacks. And, you know, sometimes you can go games without having sacks. And then sometimes you have a game where you got five sacks. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's just about being patient, uh, continue to be consistent, and going out there and giving your effort every time. Everything I've read about you, every time I've seen you play, it's always, hey, you've got this motor. You're relentless. You're is that born in you? Something you developed over the course of time? Uh, man, I would say a little bit of both, man. Uh, you know, throughout high school, I worked out with my father a lot. Um, and he instilled a lot of core values and uh, morals in me as far as, you know, being a man, uh, how things should be as a man, being tough. You know, keep pushing, keep going, not quitting, those type of things. And um you know, I, I, it stuck with me uh, even when I got to college. You know, I remember those things, those 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 long hours that we had put in. Um, and then not only that, man, I always had my mom in my corner as well. So just having them two and the things that they instilled in me growing up, I was able to carry that with me throughout life. What time, What age were you able to overtake pops and just say, Dad, sorry, I'm, I'm, too, I'm too good for you now? <laughs> uh, I would say... Uh, Dad was a hell of an athlete, um, so I want to say when I got to about when I got about sixteen, that's when I, like I, you know I was able to be like faster. I was faster than him now, you know. Uh, started seeming like he was slowing down. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Uh, so what, when you when the news breaks that you are coming back home, what is it like for you? Like, does your phone literally like just blow up? I mean, how, what is every single person you've ever met in your life texting you and and trying to say hello? Yeah, man, it, it was it was crazy. Uh, I'm I'm still just to put it in perspective. I'm still replying to people. You know, uh, four days later or three days later since the news dropped on Monday. You know that I had agreed to the terms with uh, Eagles. Man, I'm still replying to people. So if somebody thinks that I'm ignoring them, it's not that. I'm just listening. I'm between social media and my phone, I'm just trying to get to everybody as I can. That's awesome. Okay, for those Eagles fans who are not familiar with your game, mm-hmm. 
What are you bringing to the table for these fans in 2022 and beyond? Uh, re relentless attitude, uh, hard work, you know. Uh, I'm going to come out here and I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to give it my all. Um, and I feel like I'm somebody that the fans can believe in. Um, and, I, and I can't wait to the first game of the season so I can show them. The breakthrough in the league two years ago in Arizona, double-digit sacks. Once you have a double-digit sack season, like what does that do to you mentally? Like you know that you belong, that you know that you can dominate. Right. So I, you know, I knew that I belonged, but then came the question of, oh well, it was one year. You know, can he do it again? And it it, it, put, it was a lot of pressure. You know, to go out there last year and you know try to duplicate the same results. Uh, but at the end of the day, man, just happy that, you know, I have continued success in football, something that I love, something that I work so hard, you know, to be and to do, because uh, everybody doesn't get this opportunity. Uh, so at the end of the day, just to have the success that I've been able to have so far, uh, it's been amazing to see. Yeah, you are a Philadelphia Eagle now. Um, growing up, big in your life, the Philadelphia Eagles? Yes, yes. So you, uh, dad was a big Eagles fan. Um, crazy backstory and all of that. Uh, but dad was a big Eagles fan. Um, and at the time, as we, you know, growing up, I was a running back, as you, you stated earlier. Um, I was a big Deuce fan, man. Big fan of Deuce Daly at the time. Um, you know, but then Deuce did go to uh, uh, the Steelers, and I had transition. But to be back home and to finally be able to call myself a Philadelphia Eagle, amazing. Yeah. It's truly amazing. See, you lived through all the tough, the good times, but heartbreak. Mm -hmm. And then you're in the NFL when we win the Super Bowl, man. Yeah. Now it's time to for, help, help us win another one right, here. Right, right, What happens now, Hassan, now that you are in, like, do you move back into your hometown? Like, what, what, what's next? What do you want to train on and get ready for in 2022? Uh, you know, right now I am in a, currently in the process of, uh, you know, trying to find a home and move back here. Um, but for me, man, just, you know, now I get the be around family a little bit more, get to enjoy them, and I, I get to be around fans uh, and people that love me, you know, and, and, and that's a beautiful thing in itself. Uh, next thing for me is that, you know, I've already been working out for the all season, but to continue to do that uh, and get ready for the season. Yeah, it's amazing. Great. Dr dreams do come true if you work hard for them. Hassan Reddick, thank you so much. Congratulations and welcome to the Philadelphia Eagles. We can't wait to see you this season and for many more to come. Hassan Reddick, one-on-one, -on -one. Eagles everywhere. Thanks for joining us. As Hassan and I spoke, we mentioned very briefly his upbringing. He wasn't a five-star recruit coming out of high school. In fact, there was concern that he wouldn't get recruited at all. And at the end of the day, he ended up walking on at Temple University. So after the news broke that Reddick would be an Eagle, I called his high school coach, Ralph Schiavo, who coached Reddick, his senior year at Haddon Heights High School in South Jersey. Just a little interesting perspective here. Let's hear from what Ralph, uh, Ralph Schiavo has to say. Hassan Reddick in high school, yeah, he looked like he was promising, but the whew, young man just didn't get on the football field very long. Interesting little story perspective of where you begin doesn't necessarily equal where you're going to finish. Ralph, I'd love to know, uh, first of all, you know, your relationship with Hassan um, and just kind of like, you know, as a high school player, what did you see from him? Uh, well, it's funny, you know, here, here's a kid who probably had less than 100 high school football snaps 
you know, in, in his career. So when it came down to, you know, putting stuff on film, we were worried. Uh, he was really worried. You know, geez, I don't have enough. Nobody's going to find me. Turns out he only had two offers. And, uh, you know, he ended up walking on, obviously, a temple. And from there, you know, just took off. So what what was your first impression? When, what Was he a ninth grader? Was he an eighth grader? When did you see Hassan for uh, the first time? The first time I saw him was the summer of his senior year. That's when I got the head coaching job. He had not played his junior year because he was injured, missed the whole year. So I first saw him in June of his senior year, saw him in the weight room. Guy trained hard. He was obviously well put, well put together, well built. Um, you know, and he was a leader in the weight room for us, you know. Uh, that's the first time I saw him. And then, you know, the rest of the summer, it was great. And then his first four games, he was great. And then, unfortunately, he had an injury. So, yeah, let, tell, me, tell me about what kind of player he was. He played running back and defensive back. Put, How would you describe him as a football player? Uh, he was uh, obviously an above-average high school football player. Um, you know, we were hoping to be kind of a two-headed monster at the running back position that year. We had another great kid who was a tailback. So we had two tailback types who we had on the field at the same time a lot, obviously in different positions. Uh, you know, some slots, some, sometimes we line them out wide or whatever, but he was just just so much more athletic than a lot of the teams we played. Not all, but a lot of them. Uh, you know, when he got the ball, I forget our first game, uh, I think he touched the ball five times. He had three touchdowns. I think he returned a punt. He had a run, caught a screen for a touchdown. Uh, you know, so he was he was a threat on offense. And on defense, he was just menacing. We probably had him out of position because he played safety for us. Uh, but I didn't want to get him banged up, you know, playing linebacker or defensive end, anything like that. I, you know, it's a constant pounding that you take up front in the box. So we had him at free safety, and he, you know, he just roamed center field, and he was – he was pretty vicious because he was pretty powerful and he could hit you. Ralph, did you did you think the potential was there for greatness? Uh, well, athletically, obviously, you know, we, I had told the guys who were on the staff, a couple of them were, you know, came over from Audubon, and I said, you know, I feel the same way that I did about Joe. All he just needs a look. He's that he's that much of a threat athletically that if he's, you know, even for college, if he just gets in. I think he's going to thrive, and you know, to his to his due, he did. So you mentioned the injuries. I'm not familiar with his high school injury history. What was the problem? Uh, well, I think his junior year he had a he might have had a meniscus problem. I'm not 100 percent sure of that. I know he had a knee problem. I don't know if it was a. I don't think he tore anything, but he had a, some kind of meniscus issue. They told me that kept him out the whole year, and then. Uh, you know, like I said, his fourth game, his senior year, you know, we're rolling, we're headed, you know, we're going to make a run. And he, I think he had a, he fractured a growth plate in his leg somewhere. I don't know if it was in his thigh or around the knee area again, but you know, we were, we were looking to go deep. We did end up going pretty deep. We went to, you know, we lost to Corey Clement and Glassboro in the South Jersey semifinals, but I think with him, we would have had a shot. Yeah, not, but those not were yeah. two leg injuries. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Corey wasn't bad as well. I mean, certainly his no, yeah, mark in good. the NFL. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, how did how did Hassan react? You know, it, it, emotionally to to being hurt in his in his twelfth grade season. How 
Did, yeah, did you it spend was, time it with him then? It was pretty rough on him. I mean, you could just tell. He tried to come back, you know, for a game. Like, he missed, like, two games or three games, and then he tried to come back, and you could tell he just, you know, he couldn't even push off. It was it was that bad. But, he, you know, he was dejected. You know, he, he'd obviously come out to practice, and you could just tell he's, you know, he's trying to trying to do the right thing and be excited for his team and stuff like that. But, you know, here's a kid who has aspirations of going to college and playing football, and he's got less than 100 clips for coaches to look at. So, you know, he was pretty dejected. But, you know, to his credit, he hung in there. You know, our fortunately, you know, I don't know if this had anything to do with it, but our running back at the at the time, it um, and it still is the running back coach I had in heights, is Paul Palmer from Temple who does the radio, the color analyst for Temple football. So he says he had nothing to do with it, but I, I, I think it didn't hurt having him in the corner. Ralph, tell me your thoughts, A, when you know you, you saw the way that Hassan blossomed in his senior year at Temple, and then he's a first-round draft pick. And then you know now he's coming back to Philadelphia. I, I wonder what that's like for his high school coach. Uh, well, yeah, the latter, it's pretty exciting, you know, as we spoke earlier, uh, you know, it's our second one, our staff, you know, with uh, obviously Joe Flacco, who came back last year to play for the birds and obviously had a great career with the Ravens and, uh, the Broncos or wherever else he was. Uh, but to have two guys come back to your hometown area, I mean, that's, it's pretty phenomenal. Obviously it was great for the town of Audubon. It's, you know, speaking with the Haddon Heights people yesterday, they're, they're pretty pumped. Um, as far as uh, the first part, um, personally for me, it's exciting. You know, uh, he's he was a great kid. Watching him blossom at Temple, uh, you just kind of knew if if he was going to get a shot, he would he would do his thing. Did I think he would be a first round draft pick? Absolutely, probably not. But you know, he had a he got invited to the to the, one of the senior bowls, he blossomed there. And then obviously he kind of went off at the combine and, you know, was a freak. <laughs> so, you know, it was exciting personally. It's, uh, you know, really, really exciting. And then Ralph, finally, you know, everybody talks about the way he plays with his motor and he's relentless and he just gets after it. Did you see that when he was a teenager? Uh, yes, absolutely. Yep. He was uh, he had a high motor, was a high motor kid. Played with a lot of emotion, um, you know, whistle to whistle. And, uh, you know, he's, that's no surprise that he's doing that. Obviously, gotten some better coaching than he did in high school, so I'm sure that probably didn't hurt him. Eagles fans, Merrill Reese here to tell you about the Eagles Autism Challenge presented by Lincoln Financial Group. This annual Ride, Run, Walk event supports autism research and programming as we work hard every day to advance the conversation from awareness to action. This year's event will take place on Saturday, May 21st at Lincoln Financial Field. With your support, we can help transform the lives of individuals affected by autism. Register today at eaglesautismchallenge.org. Now we want to go back into the Wayback Machine and listen to a couple of great interviews here, actually three of them, with former Eagles. I just thought it would be fun to provide just a perspective on what is it actually like to be in free agency back then. We heard what Reddick's situation was now. What was it like way back when? Ricky Waters, in 1994, won a Super Bowl with the San Francisco 49ers. The next spring, 
Well, he was a free agent, a restricted free agent, a transition free agent, actually. The Eagles went out and got him, an aggressive play, and they landed a running back who came in here and was dynamic for three seasons. So let's do it. We all loved him, right? For who, for what? Well, for who, for what, we found out. He was a darn good football player, number 32. Ricky Waters talking about the decision he made to come to the Philadelphia Eagles back in 1995. Ricky, we are at free agency in the NFL, and you were one of the pioneers. And I wanted to get your perspective on what it was like and then how it played into your time with the Eagles. Back in, in that 95, you know, you had some choices, right? You could stay in San Francisco and sign the offer sheet. or What, what kind of – the Eagles gave you the offer sheet. What, what went into your decision to, to sign with the Eagles and, and, and want to play in Philadelphia? Well, I mean, actually, I – it didn't quite play out that way. I, uh, I mean, I was a transition player, so I don't, I don't know if people really understand what that was. I don't even know if we really understood what it was because <laughs> it, you're supposed to shop yourself to different teams. And, of course, I didn't want to leave a Super Bowl team that I thought we could win again. So at that time, I mean, being truthful, I didn't want to leave them. Uh, but once they put me and they made me a transition player and I went to Philadelphia and I uh, – I thought that I, if I signed that, and my understanding was they had the right, the right of refusal and that they would match, and they didn't match, so it left me with the Eagles. But uh, truth is, once I uh, got with the Eagles and got there and met my new teammates, it felt right. Yeah, and, and Ray was here, and you had familiarity there. I, I would imagine right. and Ray was um, here. Yeah. Yep. It must have been really emo- like was was it incredibly emotional for you coming off the Super Bowl and having so much success with the Niners? What what was that emotional roller coaster like? It was very emotional. I was very upset, you know, that they didn't. Truthfully, I mean, just being real, I was very upset uh, that they didn't match uh, at first. Uh, but like I said, once I once all that passed and I was with my new team and I got to meet the guys and you know Randall Cunningham, such a stand up guy. All I could think about was, and the fact that I was close to home, you know, being from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, I felt like, man, I, I wanted nothing more than to bring a uh, Super Bowl championship home. Ricky, do you, do you, you know, look, free agency now is, is outrageous. The money's incredible. I mean, the terms are <laughs> unreal. <laughs> Back in 95, what did, it, what did it mean to the players to have that kind of free agency? Uh, I think free agency itself was a good thing because we, you know, before that you didn't at all and you were just owned and a team could, uh, you know, could obviously just trade you if they wanted to do whatever with you. Um, And it just didn't, you didn't feel like you had any power as a player, but once free agency started, then you at least felt like you had some power to shop yourself and to to drive your price up to where you think, you know, you're worth, (laughs) you know, and, uh, and I, I think that now it's it's really working the way they expected it to work. And I think that's why they don't have the transition anymore and different things like that. Uh, but uh, I think free agency is a great thing for football. Do you feel like a pioneer that you kind of paved the way for these guys now? Oh, yeah, I feel like in so many ways. <laughs> Even the, <laughs> I played at the old vet, you know, the places that I played at, they got a great stadium now, awesome uh, facilities and everything. Uh, and all the teams that I that I played for, they all have new 
stadiums now <laughs> that I get to play in, but I get to go there now and put the teams on. So I, I really feel good about that. And I do feel like I have something to do with that. And when I see guys, especially, you know, showing their, you know, their excitement for making plays and different things like that, because we weren't, you know, really uh, supposed to do that as much. And I kind of couldn't help myself. <laughs> so, uh, I think that when I see guys having fun out there and I see the guy, you know how now they have the little can that you can put to the can and they do their little thing. I, I really like that. And I feel like uh, I had a lot to do with that too. Ricky, what, what, Under the what swag, was, you know, <laughs> I got you. Yeah. There's a lot of swag going on that. You had swag. That was, no, it was, you were definitely, definitely a pioneer. Um, I mean, what was Ray's, what was Ray's sales pitch or, or, or even like, did Jeffrey get involved back then? Like, did they, did they, Try to win you over with with words as well as the 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 offer sheet. Well, the fact that Ray was there that had a lot to do with me even coming. You know, there. Uh, and when I met Jeffrey Lloyd, we, we you know we used to uh, even go have dinner and, and different things like that. So I really appreciated that uh, from an owner uh, treating me that way and it, um, giving me that type of respect to you know, for him and his wife to go to dinner with me and my wife and for us to talk about things, it was really great. And he would do that, you know, before and after games and stuff. So I thought it was really cool. And uh, I did appreciate that. Ricky, how, how do you look at your, your years in Philadelphia? Um, the numbers were huge. Uh, the team was a, you know, a playoff kind of team, yep. caliber team. Um, how, how did yep. you, looking back at, so many years later, what did you think of your time being a Philadelphia Eagle? Oh man, I wish I wish Randall never got hurt. You know, at first, you know, it's just tough yep. when you get a, a quarterback hurt in the middle of the season, especially a great quarterback like him. Ronnie P came in, did a great job for us, though. We were able to, you know, finish off that year, like you said, we went to the playoffs. Just so many uh, great memories there. So many friends that lasting friends. You know, Deuce Daly. I mean, that's my guy. He's always going to be my friend. Uh, I don't know if I would ever ever even met him. If I hadn't gone there, you know, Randall will always be my friend. There are guys, Charlie Garner, you know, we had so much fun together. So, uh, Troy Vincent, I can go on and on. Bobby Taylor, you know, came from Notre Dame. And, uh, so there's so many, uh, good things that happened there and, and we played so well. And then, you know, we, we beat the best team at that time was the Dallas Cowboys and they're in our division, you know, but we, we would beat them you know, year in and year out. So it was like, you know, we, we at least would show that, that we belonged. And I thought uh, my time there was great. And on offense, you know, I know we were like a top five offense, you know, most of the time I was there. So I really uh, enjoyed my time there and, and doing that. And then also uh, people didn't know this, but, but my wife was my girlfriend at the time. She, uh, she got accepted to New York Law School. So then she was able to, we were able to, Keep our romance going. Oh, that's beautiful. So, so everything really did work out. It was a lot easier, obviously, to come to the games, uh, being from Harrisburg. So there was a lot of good things that happened there. And I thought that we, we played very well uh, as a team. And we were like one of those, you know, we were like blue-collar team. We were like the, the steel mill team, you know. And we kind of accepted that. And we kind of um, played like that. You know, we were a rough team, tough team, and, and we got after it. I love it. Was that your best? Were you at your best? Was that your prime, do you think, looking back? Were those your prime years? Oh, definitely. 
definitely, I think that was my prime. Uh, you know, you always like to think to always at your prime, you know, the whole time. But definitely then, I was very strong. I was fast. Everything. I felt like uh, I, I was coming into my own. I learned a lot. Obviously, great players I played with, with the forty nineers, and those guys taught me a lot of stuff. So that uh, I was able to teach the other young guys that were there. You know, like to do fairly. Uh, and I just thought thinking it was it was a lot of fun. It was great to be the leader, you know, because at the 49ers, I wasn't the leader. Uh, you know, some people treated me like a leader, but most people didn't because I'm I was I was a young guy. But to be a leader on the team and one of the guys that people really counted on, and to show the guys how to be a winner, uh, I think was really uh, meant a lot to me and meant a lot to those guys. I think, and uh, it was just great to be able to do that. And I think everywhere that I went. I learned something about myself, and I, I realized that I could, you know, do some really incredible things that I didn't know I could do when I first got drafted. Ricky, finally, um, free agency starts in the NFL this week. If you could talk to every prospective free agent, what advice would you give them? What What did you learn during your process, and what do you throughout your time in the NFL, and and what are the keys for these guys to to find to make good decisions? Yeah, well, a lot of it is just, man, believe in yourself, first of all, and and what you can do and who you, who you are and stay true to yourself. But also always look for the edge. There's always a little edge you can find, you know, that we were always trying to get better, always working on things, working on timing, uh, running routes, uh, just different different things that you can do in the off season to put yourself in a better position. But the the most important thing is to just tell yourself appropriately as a, as a leader, as a person who is uh, obviously a professional. Ricky, thank you so much. The very next year, the Eagles struck again with another local product. Irving Fryer, formerly a number one draft pick in the entire NFL by the New England Patriots, had a long and storied NFL career before he came to Philadelphia. But the Eagles needed help at wide receiver. Ray Rhodes, the head coach, John Gruden, the offensive coordinator, a really good coaching staff, needed some more power at wide receiver. And with a little help from a player on the roster, they were able to lure Irving Fryer back home. I ran into Irving and heard his story about coming back to Philly as an Eagle and a very productive one at that. Irv, it was your 13th season in the NFL, 1996, you came to Philadelphia. Um, it seems like a million years ago, I know. <laughs> but, but what was the free agent experience like for you? Well, for me, uh, the free agent experience was, was simply, Troy Vincent had already signed here uh, with the Eagles, and Troy and I were good friends, and we played together in Miami. And he knew that, um, you know, since Don Shula was stepping down, new coaching staff coming in, he knew that I was a free agent and didn't want to stay in Miami. So he called me and asked if, he, if it was okay if you put in a good word for me here in Philly. Would I come? I'm like, yes, I'm right with you. And the next thing I know, I'm getting a call <laughs> from uh, Modrak, and uh, they want to sign me. So it was pretty simple. It wasn't shopped around. It wasn't a whole lot of per uh, pomp and circumstance. I sat down with John Gruden at dinner when I came to visit, and John Gruden looked at me in the eye, and he said, um, we're going to bring you in here, but you can't get hurt. That was the first thing he said. You cannot get hurt. I'm like, well, I don't have a history of getting hurt. And when I'm not, you know, if I'm banged up or anything, I don't, you know, take off. I play. I play injured. So uh, that was it. It was it was not what it is today when, you know, there's a whole lot of money being thrown around. There's a whole lot of 
flying around and, and putting guys up on pedestals and, and, you know, courting them, trying to make sure that, uh, that you give them the best opportunity or give you, put your best foot forward to give them the best opportunity to choose your team. At that st- I mean, your numbers were still good. Um, at that stage in your career, was it, what was the, was it a venture into the unknown? Scary, exciting, what was it like? Well, you know, um, it was home for me. You know, I'm born and raised in New Jersey. I had been to Nebraska for college, been to New England uh, when I got drafted down to Miami. And now it was an opportunity to come home and play in front of my home fans. So for me, it, was, uh, it wasn't like a venture or anything like that. It was actually a breath of fresh air, an opportunity for me to come back home and give back to home. Free agency has become a crazy shopping spree. Uh, you, lay the, you lay the groundwork for these, for these guys today. Did you ever see it? becoming what it is now? No, no. I never saw the money coming becoming what it is now, and it has a lot to do with that. Um, but now you have athletes, whether it's football or basketball or baseball, they're actually picking the teams that they can partner with other people to win championships. You kind of didn't see that at the beginning when it came to free agency. Free agency was uh, created, I believe, to cre- create uh, parity amongst the teams, to create equality amongst the teams so that everybody had a shot at getting to the Super Bowl. But now that's that's not the case. These uh, these free agents are smarter, <laughs> and they're they're uh, they're making wise choices and going to teams, picking teams where they feel they have the best opportunity not to win games, not to have a successful season, but to win to win the Super Bowl. But it worked out great for you. I mean, what a great for three fantastic seasons. Well, my third year wasn't that great well, I mean, uh, for, you know, for anybody though. For the, for the whole <laughs> well, team. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I took it personal. Um, it did, I think it had a lot to do with the fact that we got rid of John Gruden or he left, yeah. and then we brought the wrong offensive coordinator in, which was Dana Bible. He just really did not know anything about football. That's why he was in for a little while. He was out the next year and never returned to the NFL because he really... He didn't make it through preseason. Well, no. Yeah, he, yeah. Well, people don't know that during the middle of the season, he was actually demoted. They yeah. didn't fire yeah. him, but they, but he stopped being the offensive coordinator. They took it, took that away from him, and uh, Musgrave began the offense, began to call the plays for us. So that 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 was really... We went from bad to worse. That was dark days. That, yeah, that, <laughs> we went from bad to worse. So um, for me, it was, yes, it was a good time here. I had a good time here. I really did. Um... And I just, I enjoyed myself because I was home. What last one, do you think that 13th season, there, was there any age discrimination going on there? Like, like why didn't you get more money? Why, why didn't you get big bucks at that time? Well, I don't, I wouldn't call it discrimination. It was just the thing in the league where when guys got older, into their 30s, latter part of their 30s, you know, usually there was a drop off for most people. And uh, owners, coaches, players were always cautious of that. My last year, here with the Philadelphia Eagles my third year, I broke my big toe. Uh, I broke the sesamoid bone underneath the bottom of my big toe the second game of the season. And I couldn't perform the way I had performed the prior two years, but I didn't tell anybody because I was scared I was older that they were going to get rid of me. And and lo and behold, towards the latter part of the season, Tom Modrak called me into his office and said, you know what, you fell off. You're not going. You're not playing the way you used to play. We're going to. We're going to have you retire. We're going to cut you at the end of the season. So we came up with this idea to for me to retire. But that's 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 not what I wanted. So that's why I ended up going back. First two years, would you say they were great times? Oh, of course, yeah. of course. But that last year, man, it's yeah. tough playing. With, it's tough playing with Philadelphia yeah. fans. <laughs> um, but it, all in all, though, if if you were in today's world, how would you treat free agency? Because I mean, you were a success story for, as far as the Philadelphia Eagles. Were concerned. How would you have tre- would you treat it right now if you were in your prime and, and you had an opportunity to, to, I would, to, to check out the landscape of the league? I would do the same thing that they're doing. I get the most that I could for as long as I could. 
And then in the 2000 season, the Eagles under Andy Reid as the head coach, building that offensive line, a philosophy that has not wavered one bit, even to this day in 2022. The Eagles needed help at right tackle. So what they do, they went out and they got the very best one in the NFL. And they made John Runyon the highest paid player at his position along the offensive line in NFL history. Great stories here from John Runyon talking about free agency in, 20, in the year 2000 and what it took for the Eagles to bring him to Philadelphia. John, I know that your career in Philadelphia, obviously a Hall of Fame career. Um, I'd like to go back to just before it started and talk about what the free agency experience was like for you. Uh, after some you know, very good seasons, uh, you decided to test the market. And, and I wondered, what was your thinking back then? Why did you test the market? Well, I rolled the dice. I mean, going into my, um, you know, going into my fourth year there in Tennessee, uh, I was a restricted free agent and I got the first and third tender. So I really wasn't going to move. So, you know, that, you know, that doesn't happen in the, in the new CBA deals, but you know, back in that day, that was basically like being, you know, a mini franchise tag, if you will. And you're playing on a one-year contract and I happen to, I happen to roll the dice. Can I roll the dice? And I tell people all the time, I goes, you know, it's like anything else in business, it's risk reward. And I went out there and played on a one year contract and acquired all the risk. So, you know, at the end of that year that we actually happened to, you know, lose to the Rams in the Super Bowl, it was, um, it was, it was just one of those deals like, all right, let, let's go see what the market is, you know, and then you got to play that game and then figure out, you know, who needs an offensive tackle and who has the cap space. So, that, you know, that, that was kind of the game we were playing. Did you have a sense that, A, that you could still return to Tennessee and that, B, that there were going to be a lot of teams vying for your services? Well, I think, you know, just being kind of proactive on it. I mean, I think a lot of people had cap issues and I know Tennessee did at the time. I mean, you're talking about, you know, that roster between Eddie George, Steve McNair, Bruce Matthews, Brad Hopkins, Blaine Bishop, Marcus Robinson, you know, they were renegotiating guys deals every year and spreading money out and spreading money out. So you, you, you kind of had the feeling you weren't going to get top dollar. And I knew I wasn't going to get top dollar because the year before, you know, b- before I signed that that um, that tender to play that last year, the offers weren't even market value of people that were in my same draft class. Um, so that that was a that was a frustrating part of it, and a big reason why I I rolled the dice and took that on. So, you know, and it was a, kind of the same way in free agency. You know, there were needs. You know, I still. I still talked to Scott Paoli at the time, who was up in New England. He was like, "Yeah, we needed a tackle, but we didn't have the money, you know." So it's just that uh, it was just that scenario. So it was like almost like a perfect fit, almost. So, so backing up to, to when you l- fell short in the Super Bowl, did it cross your mind? Like, was it emotional for you that you might not play for the, for Tennessee any longer? You know, I kind of went into that that whole season. I'm like. Because I I went in, you know, we were still negotiating up till up till the the Tuesday before the opening game of that, you know, that that uh, last year. And I told my agent, I goes, stop talking to him, you know, I just don't even bother. We're not signing an extension. I'm rolling the dice, and I'm going to see what the free market offers. And that's how we went about it. And 
you know, I mean, to, you know, to the Eagles credit and, you know, and with Tom Mobdrak and, uh, Andy Reid, you know, they never let me leave town once I got here. Um, they made sure the deal was done and signed. And you've seen it happen time and time again where, yeah, there's a lot of interest, but let me go shop it. They didn't let me shop it. And again, you know, another thing is I tell people, you know, you've seen the famous quote, you know, why'd you sign here? And I, you know, half jokingly, but half serious said, because of the money, you know, and it was really, it was one of those things like when you have a contract in front of you like that and it's the, you know, at the time it was the highest, you know, it was the most money that an offensive lineman had ever made in the history of the NFL. It's like, there's no decision to be made. The only decision is, you know, let's let the lawyers, you know, dot all the I's and cross all the T's and get this done. So, John, how how did it work when, when the free agency period was approaching? Did you were you a, were you very active with your agent, understanding that these offers were or these opportunities potentially were coming in, or were you kind of just sitting back saying, "Hey, agent, uh, let me know who's interested in me, and then I'll make the make the visits." Yeah, it was just it was more of that. Let me know who's interested. Um, you know, we we understood what the market was and all of that kind of stuff, and then obviously coming off. You know the year that we just had, and then you know it was just one of those things like, all right, well, let's go to Philadelphia, and you know, you know, Philadelphia's uh, reputation precedes itself. Um, my wife was a little hesitant in the beginning, but you know, ever since then, I mean, we've been here for you know 23 years now, so <laughs> obviously it's a great place to live. What had you heard about Philadelphia prior to your arrival? You know, uh, you know, people give it a, people, you know, give Philadelphia a, a, a rough run, you know, and, and it's not, and there, uh, I think a lot of times people are afraid of criticism. And for me personally, I'm my, I'm my own worst critic. You know, I, I have higher expectations of myself than, you know, most other people do. So it's not something that really weighed on me. It's, it's really at the end of the day. I mean, it's a, you know, the whole Philly thing is it's a blue collar mentality. And, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. It's the same way. You go out, work your tail off. You may not have all the tools in your tool belt. You may not be the most talented person, but if you're given all the effort, no one's going to argue with you. So, you know, it was just kind of how I was wired. And I don't think people understood that. Like I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, there to hang out and have a good time. I was there to work. And, you know, people really appreciate that. And, that's why I never really struggled with, you know, the the transition at all, and I would have never got frustrated by it. John, from the time the the airplane touched down at the airport, um, how long were you in Philly? What did you do while you were here? You know, how how does the time pass when you're you're visiting the Novacare complex? Well, actually, you weren't visiting the Novacare complex. Uh, you're visiting the Eagles, and and you know, there's deals being talked about kind of behind closed doors. Yeah, I mean there were there were there was a bunch of stuff going on. Obviously, you know, try to you know they they try to hit all the the touristy stuff. You know, you know, you know they drove drove me by the old Spectrum, so they had your your name up on the old marquee right there on Patterson Avenue and all that kind of stuff. Go get cheesesteaks, take you out to dinner, do all that kind of stuff. You know, meet the coaching staffs. You know, look at the. Uh, 
look at the uh, um, renderings and or models of what the NovaCare Center was going to be, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. So there was a lot of a lot of change that was about to happen, and obviously, you know, that being right after uh, Andy Reid's first year, you know, there was a huge change there. But you got the sense that, you know, there were, you know, you saw all the uh, personnel transactions and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, Andy was moving, you know, people he didn't want on the, you know, in the locker room out and bringing new people in and and trying to do that kind of stuff. So it was, there was a, a lot of uncertainty there, but you understood that, you know, we were, they were building something and the, and it, and it was from, you know, top to bottom in the organization. They were, they were serious about it. And now that's one of the ones, but, you know, just going out to dinner, I remember, you know, I remember um, when they put me up at the Rittenhouse Hotel, they're like, yeah, this is the, uh, this is the room that uh, Bruce Willis stays in when he uh, films all his movies here in Philadelphia, you know, that kind of stuff. So it was, uh, they were, they were making sure they were taking care of you. Did they take you by the vet and say, this is the beautiful stadium that you're going to be playing in? Well, it was basically in the vet all the time. People, people got to remember, you know, back in those days, uh, all the all the meeting rooms and offices, and you know, you actually used the game day locker room every single day of the week. So, I uh, spent a lot of time down in there, just you know, talking football with with Andy and Juan Castillo, and doing all that kind of stuff, and, and getting me getting to meet people and. You know, just kind of, you know, keeping your fingers crossed for the future. And then I think I ended up staying over as, you know, like I kind of said, alluded to before, as the deal, we kind of agreed in principle on the deal, but then the attorneys kind of pounded out. My wife actually turned around and went back to Nashville, and I stayed here. They wouldn't let me leave town until it was inked. So I think I actually stayed an extra two days. So once my wife left, you know, I was hanging out with uh, Coach Reed at the facility. And I remember one day um, after work, he, he took me back to his house. And we walk in, and he's like, he goes, all right. He goes, my wife Tammy's cooking dinner and all this kind of stuff. He goes, how many steaks do you want? I'm like, you just said plural steaks? Like, <laughs> one steak is five. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need three or four. But, uh, you know, when we got there, there was there was more than enough food to feed three times as many people as that were in his house at the time. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've talked about this, John, last one for you. Like, what, what was the kind of describe the moment of truth when it came down? And uh, I know Tennessee was certainly interested in, in retaining you. And, and like you said, Andy wouldn't wouldn't let you sign, wouldn't let you leave. No, I mean, you know, really, you look at a a, um, a point of confidence, which um, Andy Reid did. So, you know, I, I tell this story all the time. So uh, Jeff Fisher, who was the coach of the Titans at the time and obviously has a lot of ties to the Eagles and had called actually Carol Wilson, who was uh, at the time was the um, head coach's uh, um, personal assistant. So Jeff calls over and talks to Carol and Carol comes down the hall and I'm in the I'm in the Andy's office and says um, Andy uh, Jeff Fisher's on the phone and wants to speak to John. Andy gets up and says, "All right, he's on line two. He goes, he goes. I'll let you have your time." So Andy literally got up, walked out of his own office, closed the door, and let me get on the phone with Coach Fisher. And you know he's you know Coach Fisher's basically, "What do you you know what's going on? What's all this?" I'm like, "Hey, I'm here." Like. 
you guys let me leave town. You haven't you haven't put any you know offers on the table, all that kind of stuff. So obviously being frustrated at that part, and you know to my to to my viewpoint, if you're making that phone call, you better be dropping that deal right there. You know you better be saying here here's what we have, here's what we're offering, and that you want me to come back so we can talk about it? Like, no, I I got a deal on the table. We're pounding up the details right now. And you want me to come back? Like, no, we're, we're good. And, you know, ended up staying another two days and got, and got the deal inked. So, you know, the rest is all history at this point. Yeah. And you, you became a hall of famer and it, it worked out. Is there, is there a, what, what lesson would you give to prospective free agents, potentially your son one day, what do you look for? What's a good fit? It doesn't work out for everybody in the NFL in free agency. No, it doesn't. Um, you know, but like I, you know, kind of how I um, started all of this. I mean, there's a lot of risk you acquire, and guys, guys forget about that. And you know, and, and it's the same thing on the club when they they re up you early, you get less money because they're acquiring the risk. So it's a, it's finding that balance, and what are you what are you comfortable with? and all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, ultimately, you know, especially playing offensive line, you're not going to be able to pick where you want to go. You're going to have to find a slot that fits, and it's just kind of, massage. you know, you're massaging your way into a need and a cap number, if you will, and you kind of have to surf that wave around. You're not... You're not gonna, you're not gonna blow the doors off and you know and force your way in anywhere because it's just not gonna happen. So you got to take that offensive line mentality a little bit into the negotiations and and get what you can, but know that there is a market for it. But obviously, again, you know the market's gonna be much longer, you know when when you actually acquire all that risk and uh, and and you know get to actually be a, a true free agent. So thanks to those guys for their time and uh, always like to look back because they set the groundwork for what the NFL is today. A new feature here on the Eagles Insider podcast, the extra point. Today's extra point deals with Fletcher Cox and the unusual circumstances of last week. The Eagles, you might remember, released Cox and a lot of people wondered, what, what, huh, how? Four-time All-Pro six-time Pro Bowler, a player who was named to the NFL's 2010s All-Decade team, releasing Fletcher Cox? Well, the Eagles had a strategy, and the strategy was that they would work to bring Fletcher back right away. And they did just that a couple of days later. A restructured deal where Cox is happy and the Eagles are happy. And this is an example of two sides working together to achieve a common goal. And that goal, Fletcher Cox is an eagle for another season. Certainly the Eagles at defensive tackle with Cox, Javon Hargrave, second-year man Milton Williams. It should be a very strong unit, strong group. And Cox last year took him some time to get used to Jonathan Gannon's scheme, but he was playing very well in the second half of the season, like the entire Eagles defense. Sometimes it's hard to say goodbye to our all-time greats. And in the case of both Fletcher and Jason Kelsey, we are graced to have them back for one more season at least. So everyone, let's appreciate their greatness and appreciate their presence because you just don't know how long it will last. In the NFL, which we've all heard called the not for long.
in the case of Kelsey and in the case of Cox, we're blessed to have them for at least one more season. So let's appreciate them to the fullest. And also this for the Eagles' extra point. Philadelphia on Monday agreeing to terms with former Colts wide receiver Zach Paschal on a one-year contract. Paschal played four seasons in Indianapolis. He's 6'2", 214. He brings size and versatility to the Eagles' wide receiver core, and he is a favorite of Nick Sirianni, the Eagles' head coach. Pascal productive as a third and fourth wide receiver with the Colts. He can play on the outside as well as a slot receiver for the Eagles. Should be interesting to see where Philadelphia uses him in 2022. I'm Eagles insider Dave Spadaro. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Eagles Insider Podcast presented by Lincoln Financial Group. Thanks to Peter Kelly, Julie McLaughlin for their great work. Good luck to Julie as she moves on to bigger and better things in her career. Thanks to Ray Doyle for his work as well. And thanks to all of you for joining us each and every episode. If you have a moment to give us a review, we've included a link in the details section of the podcast library. I'm Eagles insider Dave Spadaro. Thanks, everyone. We'll be back with more as free agency moves along. It's the Eagles Insider Podcast presented by Lincoln Financial Group. Have yourselves a great Eagles day. Fly, Eagles, fly, and go Birds! E-A-T-L-E-S, Eagles!